Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to, to New Life. Here we are inside again. So I think that if we weren't raining down outside, we would probably be drenched in the, the, the dew of the earth and the humidity. So it's nice to be inside today. And uh, good to see everybody live here on Sunday. It was very lonely to, to lead services and preach to a camera. So it's so nice to see everybody and to, to just be together in fellowship like this. Today we're going to be looking at resurrection. We're going to be looking at resurrection. And because we, we can't actually sing together in an enclosed space like this uh, safely, so we, we, have, we have a service that's a little bit different than what we're used to. We're going to be looking into the scripture to see what Jesus and Paul had to say about resurrection and what it means for us. I want to invite uh, Julie Harmon up to share a passage from Luke 24, uh, 1 through 12. And this is the narrative of Jesus' resurrection. This is Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hand of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Again, the first preachers of the gospel of Jesus' death, resurrection, and overcoming death were these women that came to the tomb. They preached to the men. The men didn't believe them. Happens sometimes, right? We should always listen to the women. First preachers, Peter had the sense to say, yeah, I don't believe me either. Then he kind of snuck out and checked it out, found it just as they said. We heard a couple weeks ago from Pastoral Elder Greg Beach as he shared about the surrounding evidence for the resurrection and, and people, historians that wrote about Jesus' resurrection and just how much confidence we can have in this historical event of the resurrection. Uh, the second passage we're going to read, and Derek's going to pull it up on the, on the screen for you. It's a little bit longer. It's from John 11. And here Jesus, uh, backtracking in Jesus' life before his crucifixion and resurrection, talks about resurrection. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? Some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? But they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they, may not, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Sometimes grasping a concept like the resurrection requires a deeper look than just, just hearing a story or, or a text. We're going to, uh, to play a, a song with lyrics on the screen. This is a, uh, an investigation of this concept uh, as we know it. station wagon headed to New Mexico Somewhere in the middle of the night the driver fell asleep and hit the wall beside the road My friend went through the window like a bullet through the glass dead before he ever hit the ground It's hard sometimes You are the resurrection and the life Jody is a queen reigning prone upon a couch For the past few years of numbered days Cause the virus in her body and the cancer in her brain are buying up the real estate. The medicine they give her treats nightmares for her dreams, a memories too tragic to describe. Oh, I believe, though it's hard sometimes, you are the resurrection. It's 
like Lazarus You come to roll the stone away And watch him walk back out alive Sometimes it's like my good friend Paul Breathless on the interstate Mother weeping at his side Either way it's something I will never understand But I trust enough to take you in So God for honest art out there. In a story like Lazarus, you see the faith of Mary who says, Jesus says that he will rise again, and she says, I know. I know he's going to rise at the resurrection. And then Jesus, in, in a stunning turn, actually raises him to life literally. Of course, Lazarus lived out the rest of his days, and he, he eventually died, as we know, which uh, kind of enunciates the point that um, life is complicated, it's hard to understand. But there is a resurrection coming. It's a faith premise that we hold. And that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And anyone that believes in him, even though they die, they will live. They will live. Today we're in the next part of our series in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. And this is about resurrection, about those who die in Christ. So with all this in the background, we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, the, the words will be on the screen as well. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven the loud command with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever therefore encourage one another with these words I as probably many of you am no stranger to death death has been a part of my life from the earliest memories I can remember. My father's father was killed tragically in a farming accident when he was one and a half years old. And my grandmother never remarried. So my, my father lived in a farm in rural Pennsylvania with three, three older sisters. He was the baby and his, and his mother for the rest of his, his days. And we always heard that story and, and, and that tragedy. And it's, it's amazing how um, something like that reverberates through your family tree, a death like that. It really makes a big difference. As a child, I certainly... Uh, thought about that quite a bit. I had the, the, the earliest grief I experienced, I think, where I was really overcome was when my great-grandfather passed away. We called him Grumpa. And um, I think the name was fitting. He was a very uh, playful and um, teasing kind of guy when he was younger. I happened to get to know him when he was settling into dementia. And so I liked him because he treated me like an adult. We played war together, we played cards together. He said words that no one's supposed to say to kids. I loved it. I thought it was great. I loved playing with Grumpa, and he'd sit in his orange recliner in my parents' and my grandparents' living room up on the shag, you know, that shag orange carpet that we all remember. I'd sit and play war with, with Grumpa. When he passed away, I think I was 11 or 12 years old, and I was so devastated by this that I couldn't, I couldn't even go to the viewing of the funeral, so um, just stayed at the house and, and wept for my, my great-grandfather, you know? Someone that I really loved. When I was just coming out of college, I had a, a young friend who, uh, from growing up, who just seemed to not be doing very well. And I invited him to come to church with me. And uh, he went on a trip with his father and a couple weeks later, and, and he, he had Tourette's syndrome, and he, he got rejected by a girl, and he, had, he ended up taking his life. That was very traumatic. Uh, however... The Lord was faithful to him, and he was able to reconcile with his family, cry out to the Lord, and, and all these things on, as, he was, as he was on his way out. 
So that, that's, that's really hard. I, I've been to a pallbearer at so many funerals for, for, for children, uh, born, with, born, born with birth defects, unable to survive. My first, my first act as a pastor was, before I was a pastor, in 2008, uh, someone from this church, uh, a 19-year-old, was killed in a car wreck while she was trying to bring food to some, uh, to some older people who were stuck in a storm. To talk about uh, doing a good thing as, as, you, as you lose your life. And uh, I remember, you know, praying and, and with, with our group of friends, uh, praying and, and uh, going through that very, very hard. I've done funerals for people. That, when I first started as pastor here five years ago, you know, it seemed like all of a sudden there was three or four funerals the first month that I was here. And I, I just couldn't, couldn't believe it. Um, Jackie had, had kind of like a nice hall pass before she got married to me. And then uh, the first time she'd ever been to a funeral was my Uncle Ronnie, my great Uncle Ronnie. And, and, uh, and since then, of course, she's had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with me as she's lost grandparents and, and young cousins even recently. Uh, these are hard things. These are hard things. Um, hard, to, hard to go through, hard to look at. And sometimes... Uh, when you think about your faith, when you think about your Christianity, and then you think about the grief of the world and what you go through with things like this, not just like this, but there's also lost relationships. There's all kinds of brokenness as a result of sin that we go through. And, you, and, and the, the church kind of portrays a very happy and victorious image. Meanwhile, there's grief residing in your own heart, in your own life, in your own struggle. And I think these things are really troubling because people, Christians are ill-equipped with, with a victorious, like, everything is going to be fine faith, where we're singing hallelujah all the time, Christians are ill-equipped to go through grief and suffering that we go through as a result of living in this world. And, you know, there are times that are like Lazarus. You know, Jesus comes and rolls a stone away. Jesus brings a healing. Jesus brings resurrection in our lifetime. Amazing. But more times than not, we're left in the shadow of death asking, where is God? You know, we, we prayed, we sought him, and this, this thing that we didn't want to see happen happened. Yet, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And many people died during Jesus' lifetime in ministry that he didn't resurrect, like Lazarus. I think through the story of Lazarus, he was so moved and, and so loved Lazarus, and he wanted to teach us a lesson about something that was going to come down the road, about his resurrection, what that would mean for us. And I think that's kind of why he ended up raising Lazarus to life in this uh, in this uh, in, in crazy way, you know. Uh, imagine this man coming after four days in the tomb with the grave clothes on. People say that was the first mummy, and I'm like, no, he wasn't dead. He wasn't dead. He wasn't a zombie. Now, there was Jesus when he resurrected. Resurrection is not the same as being a zombie and coming back to life. It's resurrection. You like that? Zombies, yeah. Kids love zombies. I like zombies, too. But there, there is... So we need to talk about these. We need to talk about living with a world of death and sin and pain. And of course... I don't have all the answers because no one has all the answers to these things. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So let's flesh that out. Uh, in, this, in this passage today, Paul is talking to a church who, is, who he says is, are uninformed about people that are sleeping in death. So he takes the euphemism out and says, it's death I'm talking about. Um, these people are confused and they need some answers about what happens to people when they die who are Christians, right? Uh, and, and, and through this section, Paul, is he says in the end, he's trying to encourage them so they can encourage one another in the midst of sin, death, and a world where it seems like there is no resurrection, but that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And uh, as we look at this, you know, pa Paul says a phrase, we're going to go through this, he says, do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So, again, important for Christians to realize grieving is sanctioned by Scripture and encouraged by scripture. It just says to grieve with hope. It doesn't say don't grieve, right? But there's a marked difference in how we grieve and mourn depending on what we think about death. Um, we had a, a family friend uh, who, who were not believers as far as we know. Maybe they were Catholic, I'm not sure, but um, uh, older older man who had been exposed to Agent Orange and he had, you know, his, his hands and arms and legs had grown to a large size from being, from being exposed to this toxic chemical in war. That's a tragedy in itself. And then, when he, then he passed away. And I had never, 
I'd never been to a funeral that was more, more sad in a way because, um, inappropriately, of course, funerals are sad, but, but here we have people that do not have hope of a, of a resurrection in their life. And I remember being so struck by the song that played over the intercom of the funeral home, Wild Horses by Rolling Stones. That wild horses couldn't drag me away. Wild, wild horses will ride them someday. Wild horses couldn't drag me away. Wild, wild horses will ride them someday. But there was no sense that we're going to be riding wild horses again. There was a sense of this person is gone and they're never coming back. It was very sad. And the after party to this was, the instructions were, bring a bottle of liquor and drink the whole thing. That's your, that's your job. So grieve with, grieve with those who grieve, I suppose. Um, in contrast, so that, that's kind of like a hopeless moment that I had in a, at a funeral where I thought this is very sad. Uh, a, a, a more uh, hopeful and actually sometimes it can even be funny funeral was um, for a dear saint from this church who passed away again when I started as a pastor. And uh, we got to the funeral home. I was conducting the funeral. One of my very first acts as the senior pastor here. And I had been with her in the hospital and seen her suffer and go through the sickness and, and just old age and but she was an amazing saint that was inspiring to a lot of people. And um, there was, at the funeral home, prominently displayed, very proudly displayed, a glamour shot of this woman from, the, not from like the 80s or 90s. And it was like poofy big hair, rosy cheeks, blue like eyeliner and stuff, lipstick. And we're like, wow, that doesn't look quite like we remember her in the casket. And I didn't want to say anything because that's obviously not cool to you know, talk about how Someone looks as they're laid out there. But the daughter, her daughter came up to me and said, doesn't mom look hilarious? I said, yeah. I, I said, who sent the funeral home the glamour shot from the 80s? Like, that's, that's not a good representation of how she looked. And she's like, I know. I don't know how this happened. And, but it was so funny because you know that the, the makeup artist at the funeral home was like, yeah, I think I got it. I think I got it. <laughs> and there's like a, there's like, it was just like a big frame picture right next to the cast. You look at it. Yep, they got it. Yep. Um, and I, I said to her, just in, in, a, you know, in a moment of connection, I said, one of the nice things about this little mishap is you can just see how much she's not there. She's not there. She is in the presence of Jesus Christ. And she's not suffering. We've seen her suffer in the hospital in old age and sickness. You know, uh, one of the, one of the, I've never thought about it this way, but one of the things I've read about grief from a Christian perspective is, as strange as it is, suffering at the end of life is a mercy to both the people who pass away and the families and friends of those people because they see a, they, there's a release from that suffering. It's over with, and the person is made whole in Christ. So it's a way to, for, it's a gentle way in this broken world where we transition into this loss of life. But uh, that, that was quite an interesting thing. You know, during the, eight last, the last eight months, I don't know if you're all aware of this, but we, not to COVID, but we lost many foundational members of our church. In, in December, we lost Ed Van Amerongen. And then shortly after Ruth, we lost Katie Hayes. Evelyn Morris, at 102 years old, pushing 103. Uh, Marlene Johnson. We lost uh, Barbara Eastman, who is a, a satellite member of our church. She died a couple weeks ago. She ran the Christian bookstore in Baralba, New York, with her daughter. And all of these people, saints of the Lord, who, whenever I think about them, I am inspired to live for God. You know, it's, these are amazing lives. I have a, 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 when Ed and Ruth moved out of their home on Castlewood Drive, he gave me a bag full of materials he had personally curated about the Holy Spirit during his lifetime. and said, I want to pass these along to you. It was really cool. And of course, I can hear Ruth's voice in my head. I can hear Katie's voice in my head. Um, I can hear these, these beloved saints whispering encouragement, Bible verses, and just remembering their lives and how they lived. But all of this, all of this during the last eight months, these, these five people, six, six people. And in the midst of all these experiences of, of both my formative years and now um, here at the church, now I've had a very strong faith and belief about death. Um, that no matter how many details I don't understand about how, how exactly it works, no matter how many different interpretations there might be of 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, there's a lot of them. People interpret this different ways. I have a complete and settled faith in what happens to someone who trusts in Christ when they die. Absolutely and completely. And I'm thankful for that. In 2016, I was in a, a terrible car accident. And my car was like, you know, the front tires were turned sideways into the pavement kind of thing. The engine was, you know, all the airbags went off. The windshield was bus bus busted in. 
Um, I, hit, so I, I hit someone like this going 55, and they pulled in front of me. Both me and this woman were spared without injuries. She was like in her 80s. And uh, after that, her kids convinced her not to drive anymore, I found out. But um, she was pulled out in front of me. And in that moment, if you've ever been in a car accident, I, I, I was like, I'm invincible. This is amazing, you know? But uh, part of me was like, you know what? I, I, did, I did have this fleeting thought. I know that if I were to die, I'd be in Christ. I just had that thought to myself. Funny part of that story is, you know, my mom was traumatized, of course, and she wanted to spend time with me after that. Um, and so she said, let me take you to a movie to kind of comfort you after the car accident. So the day after my car accident, about 15 hours after the car accident, she took me to see Doctor Strange, and the opening scene is a horrible car accident. <laughs> it's a horrible, like, Doctor Strange, like, is driving this, like, super cool car. He drives off a cliff, it flies through the windshield, his hand goes through the windshield, and it's like, and I lit, I, I had, like, I was like, oh, I, my, I, it really uh, got me. I could smell the smell of the airbags when I saw that movie. It's the weirdest thing, PTSD kind of thing. Luckily, that hasn't, I laugh about that, but, um, you know, people that have, you know, panic attacks and, and, and fear, they, they go into these things and they, they feel like they're going to die. They feel like they're going to die. In those moments when, when you feel that weird feeling and you're like, am I having a heart attack? Am I having a panic attack? What's going on? Am I, you know, you get in an accident. Um, what are you thinking? What's going through your head? What do you think about resurrection? What do you think about death in Christ? This is, a, this is obviously a practical topic. Um, every person who ever lived is destined to live and die. And it's something that we do actually alone, which is a really kind of a scary thought perhaps. But when you, when you pass on, and perhaps we see this more, more acutely through COVID and not being able to visit people in the hospital, you are by yourself. It's a scary thing, usually. But for the believer in Christ, it's, not, it, it's, it's a, momentary, a momentary moment. There's a pastor I met once who had been a chaplain and a pastor for many years. He, he told me, every time in my 35 years of ministry that I've sat with a believer who's died, God has given them a profound peace as they die. I've never seen a believer die without peace. It's as if God is enfolding them and pulling them into the next realm. And uh, it's an amazing uh, situation. So in some ways, because of how relevant this topic is, it's, it's easy to translate it from the Bible times to our modern times, right? There's no translation needed. Uh, in the Church of Thessalonica, the culture believed the same exact things about death that our culture believes. And I'll tell you what I think um, that is. Paul had been teaching the Thessalonians for three months, and this, this is where the question came up. He'd been teaching them for three months, and one of the fundamentals of faith he taught them was about the day of the Lord, that the Lord would come back uh, and, and take all those who, who were living to be with Christ. The one thing that Paul didn't, for, didn't get a chance to tell them before he was ripped away because of persecution was, if someone dies before then, it's okay. They're, they're going to be saved too. So these Thessalonian people were concerned because people among them were dying in the church and being through the persecution. And because Jesus hadn't come yet, they had anxiety that those people who died before Jesus came uh, were, were not safe. And so Paul's, Paul's trying to put this to rest. The reason that he, they had to reassure them in this way was because in their culture, death was thought of as the final point of your existence before you pass into nothing. That's how they thought about death. They believed that you fell asleep and you either slept forever or you just ceased to exist. You'd return to the elements of the ground. And that's all they believed. I read one, one theologian that said, at least some of the Thessalonians had only recently been converted from a culture that wasn't Christian in which death was widely associated with an utter lack of hope. If some of these relatively new believers still understood death in a largely non-Christian sense, it is understandable how distressed they might have been by the death of fellow believers prior to the return of Christ. It would have meant the end of any hope of being with the Lord. In the future, that the wait for his son from heaven would have been in vain. We likewise live in a culture that doesn't believe anything is happening after death. I listen to pod many non-Christian podcasts. I watch many you know, non-Christian television shows. And it's woven through the culture of our, of our uh, world here. Uh, they believe, people in the world believe that when you die, that's sort of it for the most part. 
I was watching a Netflix show where as you're watching it, you realize that in this ep the episode before, there had been like an accident. And you realized in this episode, as, as it went on, that this character was uh, in transition to dying as, the as it went on. Um, as this, this, this character was sitting, and there were scenes from his life and people that he had known who had died talking to him about their lives. And then one by one, these people, after sharing their life's work, their life's passion, their life's story, they fell backwards into a hole and disappeared into non-existence. It was such a stark thing to see. This is how people think about life. Like, it doesn't matter what you accomplish or what you do. Like, eventually you're going to fall backwards into this black hole and then you cease to exist. It's a very sad and profoundly sad thing. And then at the end of this uh, scene, he's left with only his mother who had died. And uh, she uh, says to him, he says to her, you know, I'm starting, I'm starting to feel kind of hopeful, like, like things are going to be okay, like maybe the hole is a good thing. And then as his mother is falling through that hole, um, she says to him, that's just your brain releasing epinephrine and, and giving you a euphoric feeling. That's just the way the body shuts down. There's nothing after this. So sad. Never seen anything sadder than that. Oof, that, was, that, that, that kind of bothered me for many days. Uh, many children's books have been published lately about death, which is a wonderful thing, because they need to be able to grapple with it. But a lot of these books, uh, ha if you look at them, they talk about the actual body of the person turning back into carbon and still existing in some form in the world. But no, their personality, none of what they've done or accomplished, it's just gone. On the other end of the spectrum, from the person ceases to exist, is I was listening to a radio program early today, and it was kind of one of those... Um, weird in late at night programs or early in the morning programs and the person was calling in begging the host to say I had this dream about my mother she died in June tell me that was her speaking to me in the dream and they're like, yes that was definitely her there's people that are reaching out in that kind of way to their loved ones but basically death is is devastating unsettling and our culture views it in the same way that Thessalonica viewed it. That it's the end, that you cease to exist, that you have some kind of weird ethereal existence where you help people find their car keys once in a while. I don't know. You see a sunset and you think of them. They, they provide that sunset, whatever it might be. Uh, so this is a culture that's very similar to the Thessalonians' culture. So speaking, but, but for Paul, you know, he has a medicine for people who have this hopeless view of death. It's not based on his own theories, but it's actually based on the settled reality of Jesus' resurrection. For Paul, as we're going to see in this passage, since Jesus resurrected, we can look back to this historical event of Jesus' resurrection and know for certain exactly what the future holds for us as followers of Christ. For Paul, just, just as we are um, in Christ as we live, so we are in Christ as we die. And so, since Christ is resurrected, resurrected, so all of us will be resurrected with Christ when he comes back. And if you, if you look at, if you look at uh, Romans 6, it talks about baptism, being baptized into the death of Christ so that you may be raised with him. Paul's theology is we are in Christ as we live, and we're in Christ as we die. They said, what happens to people after we die? Paul said, it's not a what, it's a who. You are in Christ, just like you were when you were living, and you continue in Christ when you die. Looking at this passage a little more slowly, in, in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you grieve like the rest of mankind. Again, that's an affirmation of grief, that we should grieve in this world. Things are not as they're supposed to be, but we're supposed to grieve with hope. Verse, verse 14, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Because Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the person that, fall, that dies in Christ, Jesus will resurrect them just as he has been resurrected. According to the Lord's word, and here he's using a bunch of Old Testament imagery, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 1 Corinthians 15 calls death the final enemy that Jesus overthrew. So to the concerns of the church in Thessalonica over those who died before Christ's return, 
Paul says that both those who die before Jesus comes back, which is everybody from the beginning of time who's trusted in God up until the present moment because he hasn't come back yet, um, everyone who dies beforehand uh, will be gathered together with those who are still living, and everyone who trusts in God through Christ together will be with the Lord. In other words, because of the, it says in this passage, because of the reality of Christ's resurrection, Paul offers this profoundly different understanding of death from the culture in which he lived in and the culture that we live in. That the future, the fate of believers, which is grounded in what was for, for Paul, one of the most foundational events in history, which is the resurrection of Christ. Everything about this is about the resurrection of Christ. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For those who are in Christ, anyone here who trusts in Jesus, living and dying are in the same exact location. You live and die in the same location. You die in Christ. You live in Christ. So when we pass from our physical existence, when we die, we remain in Christ just as we were when we lived. And the reality of the resurrection that Christ experienced in his body becomes our reality as we identify with Jesus. And so Paul says to comfort each other with those words. He says, say the names of your brothers and sisters who have died. Grieve, weep, feel the absence. Experience the grief, but realize that those loved ones who were in Christ, they, all they did was shed their earthly tent, the Bible says. They, the Bible calls it a tent. They never shifted from where they were located. They're still in Christ. They're still in the risen one. They're still there. They're in Christ. So we mourn, but we don't mourn as those who don't have hope, because those who die in Christ rise in Christ. I still, and many of you probably still, visit the graves of people I've lost in my life, and I contemplate their absence, I com contemplate the gift and the, maybe the complicated reality of their presence in my life, but I recognize that I am in reality meaningfully connected to these people still who are in Christ because I am also in Christ, and I will see them again. And someday, all of us, both those who have passed on and those who are still living, will all be together with the Lord forever because Jesus died, rose again, and defeated the final enemy, which is death. It says in the Bible that Jesus disarmed death. You figure if, if um, someone gets killed with a, with a torture instrument like the cross that Christ was killed on, and then he rises again, what more can you do to that man? You can't kill him. There's nothing left but life. There's no, there's no, way, there's no way to be defeated. And Jesus died so that those who identify with him in faith, in baptism can be risen again with him. So Paul's talk of what will happen in the future when we die is actually pointing back to the reality of what happened in the past, that Jesus rose again. And because he rose again, we who are in Jesus will rise again as well. And we are supposed to comfort each other with those words. So my, my, my encouragement to you, first of all, is to think about your position in Christ as a believer. If you trust in Jesus Christ, as your Lord and your Savior believe that he, God raised him from the dead, um, you have nothing to fear from death. There's nothing at all to fear because as you live in Christ, you will be raised in Christ. Apart from Christ, there is not hope. There is not hope apart from Christ. I believe that. But in Christ, there is hope. Not only, do, not only can we have this hope for resurrection, but in our relatively short lives, we can live meaningfully with this faith without fear because we know that Jesus will raise us to life. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that characterized this church in Thessalonica and Paul as well was they lived life fearlessly. They took faith-filled risks to serve and love and share the gospel with people because they realized that after seeing the example of Jesus, they can kill us in our body, but they can't, they can't destroy us. They can't take away our eternal security in Jesus. So they just lived boldly. And some of the ways that Christians live are very fearful, right? You know, in COVID-19, everyone's struggling with fear. And we should be conscious and careful and following guidelines. But we shouldn't be a slave to fear. We shouldn't be a slave to fear because when you live in fear, you sort of become smaller. But when you, when you trust in Jesus, not only for your salvation, for your resurrection when you die, but for your life, and you realize you, you can live in a different way based on what's going to be the reality of your future, which is resurrection and life in Christ. There's nothing that can take that away from a believer in Jesus. Nothing can separate them 
from that tie that binds. And I comfort people who have lost Christian loved ones by saying, here's the reality. I believe you're still meaningfully connected to that person that died. You're both in Christ. You're both on the Verizon network. I just feel like you're still connected. Um, and those of us, we all have this in common. Our address is in Christ. It's our address. That's pretty comforting and pretty cool. I challenge anyone to come up with a, you know, I know, I know, that, um, I know that the world looks on this as a, as a silly way for people to anesthetize themselves to grief and walk around singing Chris Tomlin songs and listening to Christian radio and like, oh, everything's fine. But this is reality. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. He promises anyone who believes in him will rise again. This is talked about through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, through human history, attested to by historians, Christian and non-Christian. This is the reality of the cosmos, that he who lived and died and rose again, we trust in him, we will live in him, die in him, and rise again in him. It's a reality. It's not, it's not like putting a, putting a Novocaine shot in your brain and your emotions. This is reality that we live by and a hope, a sure hope that we have. The Bible calls it an anchor. And when I think about that in Hebrews, I think about uh, a boat anchor, how you, it's like that, that uh, triangle thing. You put it in the bottom and it kind of clicks into place and it keeps your boat from going. It's, it's like an anchor for the soul. You just throw your anchor. It's, you know, into the heavenly realm. It's secure in Christ. And you can't really go wrong in your life. If you live, you live in Christ and bless other people. If you die, you die in Christ. Paul was so confident of this. In Philippians, I think he said, you know, I'm being persecuted. I'm being to the point of death. Some, one time people thought I was dead, but I came back to life. All, you know, I was beaten so badly. And he thought about it. He's like, you know, I'd rather be with Jesus, but it's better for you if I stay. So... I'll stay and have fruitful ministry until the time when I die. That was his perspective. Because he had an anchor for his soul, um, again, in Christ. He lived, he lived differently. And I don't think Paul is giving this just to comfort people. I think he's giving it to, to stir them up and to say, keep, you know, take faith-filled risks. Don't live like everybody else. You know, most surveys find that Christians are pretty much live exactly the same way as everyone else in the world. Um, but we don't have to. We have a, we're, it's a different kingdom. We have different... Uh, a different reality that beckons us to have confidence and go do things for God. And, and, and really, the Bible talks about us being God's plan A to share the ministry of Christ with other people in the world. So, whatever it takes, we can do it in confidence because if he's going to resurrect us, he's going to also give us all things uh, in this life that we need. So, I say, let's grieve. Let's not be deniers of grief. Let's not grieve as those that don't have hope. Uh, let's remember that we're still meaningfully connected to those who die in Christ and that we will be with them. And let's let their memory and what they did, just like those people I listed, those, those six people that just in the last eight months have passed away, their voices, their testimony, their memory, even their mistakes and the ways they received grace, let them inspire us as a cloud of witnesses along with everyone that we see in the Bible and other people we know to walk in faith and follow Jesus confidently in this world. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You know, he, I, think, uh, I think that's a, a bumper sticker. Yes, I do, but he was just that good. Everything he said was a bumper sticker. Um, but he overcame the world, like the world system put him to death on a cross, and they couldn't keep him down. He overcame death, and then he calls us to follow, take up our cross and follow him. Presumably that means that we can just walk in this kind of post-car accident, I'm, I'm invincible way. You know, again, not being, not being stupid about it, but not living in fear. Not living in fear with the relatively short lives we have. So this is resurrection. Um, I have a reading uh, from that Greg Chandler is going to do for us. And I'd like you to just close your eyes and listen to Paul talking about resurrection from 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to close with a song. But just let this reality seep into your bones. And if you are grieving the lo a loss right now, just, just grieve with Christ. It's totally, we need to grieve. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. You hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of importance, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. As for for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits then, when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed, death for he has put everything under his feet now when it says that everything has been put under him it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ when he has done this then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all now if there is no resurrection what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hope, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, and drink for tomorrow we die do not be misled bad company corrupt good character come back to your senses as you are and stop sinning for there are some who are arrogant or ignorant of god i say this to your shame but someone will ask how are the dead raised with what kind of body will they come how foolish what you sow does not what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, 
the moon and the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor. Who will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is shown is imperishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam came, became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The, spirit. the spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not Thank you, Greg. It was a long passage. I appreciate that. So you got poetry. You have beautiful arts and philosophy there. I'd say go home and meditate on that passage of Scripture. What is so imperishable will be raised imperishable. When Jesus was raised and glorified, he wasn't recognized by his disciples. But he did have bear the marks of his crucifixion in his hands, and the holes in his hands and the side, so much so that Thomas could put his hands out and touch those areas of his body where he was crucified. Um, we, there's many things we don't understand about the resurrection, but one thing we know is that Jesus was raised and we also will be raised. Jesus was glorified and we will also be glorified because in Christ we get to have all the benefits of Christ's resurrection given to us by grace, by a free gift, though we are not Jesus. We, those of us who are in him, I think of Moses on the mountain when he was up with the Lord receiving the Ten Commandments. When he came down, he had to veil his face because just some time in the Lord's presence caused his face to shine so brightly people couldn't look at him. Um, this is the, the glorification that's in store for uh, not only Jesus, but everyone who follows him. A world without sin, without, without the sting of death, where death is no more and our grief can come to an end. It says in Revelation where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. So, as Paul says, give yourselves fully to the work because we have a confidence um, in the resurrection and the power of God with us. We can give ourselves fully without fear to loving the world like Jesus did. And I share with you a song. This is just Psalm 16. Um, sung to you. We can't sing together, but I can sing for you. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. 
pray your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you are near to those who are brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. In everything in life, Lord, we say with the, with the songwriter, we believe, though it's hard sometimes, you are the resurrection in the life. You are the resurrection in the life. You are dispersed to go and be the church.